Well, this morning we are going to continue our series on marriage, uh, an important topic that I'm, I'm sure all of you are familiar with. Uh, this is definitely not something new, but it is something that we need to be reminded of and encouraged of every time we get an opportunity, because it is just that vital. I mean, it really is that vital. The topic for this morning is sacrificial love. Uh, that is uh, the topic that I was, I was given, and I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to share some of the insights I believe the Lord wants to share with us uh, to you this morning. I've got a couple of verses that I do want to read. As always, we want to, to start off by saying that anything that we want to say about marriage is coming straight from the Bible. Nothing of what we're going to mention is coming from man's philosophy or our, or our own ideas. These aren't things or concepts that we've mastered or, or some sort of philosophy that we want to teach. Everything that we want to share this morning is coming straight from the Word of God. And I believe that's important because if we can see ourselves as submitting to what the Lord has said through His Word, through what He's revealed to us, then what we're going to do is we're going to find power. We're going to find encouragement there. We're going to find truths there that are going to sometimes fight against our own natural impulses. And that's exactly what we need to be challenged with. If it's hearsay, if it's ideas that someone else is bringing, automatically we want to say, well, who are you? How do you know? Right? Who are you to tell me what I should do? But when it's God revealing things to us, we have no choice but to say, okay, all right, that's truth. And then well, how am I going to respond to that truth? So this morning, before we begin, I'd like to pray, ask the Lord to lead. As always, it's important to, to ask for His blessing, for His encouragement. And so let's do that this morning. Father, this morning we are grateful for another day of life. And we are thankful, Lord, that you have prepared this day for us to enjoy. Lord, this is a day that you have made, and we want to be glad and rejoice in it. And we're thankful that you have given us your word, your revelation, that you have included so many things there that are necessary for us to live a life that is not only pleasing to you, but brings satisfaction, brings true joy, brings peace, and brings meaning into the world that we're living in now. I pray, Father, that as we speak, as we share the things that are contained here concerning this topic of marriage, I ask, Lord, that you would bless your word, that you would allow it to go deep within our souls, that it would not remain on the surface, but that it would penetrate, as you promised your word will always do. We ask that it would penetrate us, that it would change us, that it would challenge us, that it would cause us to grow, cause us to see things not from our perspective, but from yours. And we ask, Lord, that this would be what is needed at this moment. Lord, we're grateful that you have prepared this time and that you have set this, this series of teachings on marriage. And we ask that what we hear would be again from your word. I pray that you would use me, that you would allow me to say things that are congruent with what you are, with what you are showing us in the Bible. Allow us, Father, to submit to what you say and give us the grace, Father, to see things for what they really are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at the Bible as our, uh, as our guide. And uh, with that, we're going to be using our Bible to read verses. I don't want to just quote them and read them to you. I want us all to open, our, open the Word and go to those verses yourself. So we're going to begin in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. So if you would turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, I want to read this verse to you all. And this is going to serve as our foundational verse. This is where we're going to be um, jumping off from. And this is going to give us our pattern for what we're going to be studying this morning. 1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know love, 
that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. When you look at this verse, can you see how it has taken an act of God to show us what love is? We are all familiar with this concept of love. We, we, we think we understand it. We think uh, we know what it is. But can you see how it has taken an act of God to show us what true love really is? We are, in fact, called to love others. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We are called not only to know this kind of love, but we're called also to love others in the same way, which is fantastic. It's unbelievable. Because the love that we are called to show is not a love that comes naturally to us, per se. It's a love that has been shown to us, revealed to us, by what God has done. He is the one that has set the standard. And we are called to follow in that standard and show love in a similar way to what He has already given and laid out. That is amazing. That is amazing. We don't have to try to reinvent the wheel. We don't have to try to, try to figure out how, how does showing love, what does that look like? What, what, is, what, is that, what does that call for me to do? Well, the Bible's telling us here. And the commandment that He gives us is also God-motivated. We are motivated by what He has done, by the standard that He set. And we are able now to love others through His example. This morning I want to present the topic in the following way. I want to talk about how God sets the standard of what sacrificial love is. And then I want to talk about how we submit to His design. And finally, I want to talk about how we walk out His commandments in real life. So again, God sets the standard. Then we're going to go to how we submit to His design, our submitting to His design, and then how we walk out His commandments in real life. That, that's, that's going to be the order that we're going to be following this morning. So let's begin here with His standard, sacrifice. I've defined sacrifice as the act of giving up something valued for the sake of benefiting someone else. The act of giving up something valued in order to benefit someone else. And this is a concept that we are, we're familiar with. As a matter of fact, this is a concept that we, we cherish. We, we, look, we, we look in amazement at it's people who are able to show this kind, this kind of action, this sacrificial kind of action. I'll, I'll give you an example. In, in the Lord of the Rings books, right, the trilogy, the very first book, The Fellowship of the Ring, you have the heroes who have to take the ring of power over to Mount Doom and cast the ring into the fires. Right? And the reason why they're doing that is it's the only place where that ring can be destroyed. And so as you know, from going from point A to point B, there's going to be all sorts of adventure. There's going to be this long, perilous journey. It's not going to be very simple to go from here to there. In the very first book, they're encountering all sorts of dilemmas, all sorts of problems. One of them being, they've got to now go through a mountain, right? The mines of Moria. And so as they're trekking through these mines, they're being attacked by these monsters, these goblins or these orcs. And these orcs are surrounding them. And the heroes, it seems like that's it. it it's, the, the, the game's over. The journey's over. They are completely surrounded. There's no hope for them. And just as we think that the story's going to end, lo and behold, things actually do get worse. Here comes now this creature, this, this even, even bigger monster from the underworld, which they call a Balrog, rises up from the bottom. And all of the orcs get scared. They flee. They run. And even Gandalf, who seems to be the hero, right, their leader, uh, the main person there, he, he realizes that this monster is, is, is too big for them. They, they're not going to be able to attack uh, 
and win this fight. Their only option is to flee, to run. And so they do, they run. All of the other bad guys are gone, and now they're, they're being pursued by this, this monster of the underworld. And they get to this point to where it is either going to be life or death. And what Gandalf decides to do is he decides to confront this creature knowing, and we all know the way the book is set up, we know he, there's no way he's going to win. There's no way. The odds are much too great. But he stands up to this creature anyway. And he does it. Why? Not because he expects to win. He does it because he's <coughs> buying time. He realizes that the mission is far more important than his own life. And he sacrifices himself so that the rest of the team can continue on. And he gives that famous line. Fly, you fools, right? Get out of here. Run. Why are you standing here? Go. Move, move. And he stands there and he stands up to this creature. And they both fall into the abyss. And that's a moment for us as we read the book. And, and, and the film does a great job of depicting that. I know when I first saw that in the movie, uh, of course, they've got music and they've got the slow motion cameras and they've got all these things going on. But it does something to us when we see someone sacrifice themselves in this way for the better of someone else, for the better of a higher calling. Things like that have a tendency to move us, to shake us. That movie did a great job of depicting that. But that movie is just a shadow. It's just a small portion of what we read in 1 John 3.16, of what Christ has done for us. We must realize that we had absolutely no hope. There was no way that we could stand to this, against this foe. Our own sin, the judgment that came from God, we could not stand before it and win. We were condemned to die. But Christ, in His love for us, stands between us and that judgment and lays His life down for us. In the same way that we're moved by stories like the Lord of the Rings, which are just a picture of what Christ has done, our emotions, our soul should be moved by the truth of what Christ has done for us. And this is the kind of love that we are called to show. So, what reaction, when you hear this, what reaction does that cause in you? What do you think about when you read 1 John 3.16? Is it something that we just, do we just gloss over, that we just read over? Or is this something that we think about and meditate upon? The weightiness of what that sacrifice meant. And not only the weightiness of what the sacrifice means, but the seriousness of the call. And not a call that God gives flippantly, but a call that He gives providing first an example for us to follow. That is amazing. That is wonderful. That is life-changing. And so we see in our text that love is sacrifice. To love sacrificially is to love truly. To love sacrificially is to really love. You cannot love unless you sacrifice. That is what 1 John 3.16 is wanting to portray. By this, we know love. How do we know love? <laughs> that He laid down His life for us. And this is now going to motivate us to something. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Knowledge through example, which motivates us to our own actions, to continue that path that the Lord has started for us. Is this how we love? 
Is this how we live? We saw last week that marriage was created to glorify God and to serve Him. That is the highest priority of marriage. Good morning. The highest priority is to create, was created by God to glorify and to serve Him. And we must learn to think about marriage on those terms. However, when we think about marriage, most of us think about how it can glorify and serve us instead. Why is that the default? Why do you all think that this is the natural tendency? If God is calling us to something, it seems like our tendency is the opposite, right? And isn't that the case? Our sinful nature, our natural desires are in opposition to the commands of God. That's why we need the Word of God. That's why we need this revelation here. That's why this book is so important to us. It's not just a rule. It's not just a book of rules and laws. This is the book that tells us how God has ordered the universe. This is the book that tells us how we ought to live. And He gives us the outcome of what happens when we live according to His ways, which is life, peace, prosperity, righteousness. Things are in correct order. But our natural tendency is always to fight against those kinds of things. When we think about marriage, when we think about relationships, the world will tell you. It's plastered on a million billboards. It's shouted from across the lecture halls and universities. You can see it in movies. You can see it all over. You can feel it within yourself. If I am to have a relationship, what do I get out of it? What's the benefit for me? That is how we think. Yet, what does the Bible say? How do we know true love? It's through sacrifice. The example has been given. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to show you something here that I think is going to be meaningful for us this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and let's look at verse number 15. Here's what it says. And He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. Christ died for all. Why? Why did He die? Well, to prove His love, to show His love. But He also died that those who live, speaking of us, would live not for ourselves, but that we would live for others. He has given an example. He has empowered us. He has motivated us. And He tells us here that our love should be pointed outward, not inward. The love that we feel, that desire to feel loved, God has already fulfilled it. How? By proving His love, by sending His Son on the cross. That desire for us to feel loved, is there. That fountain of love is there. And we can look to it, we can see it, we can rejoice in it at any time. We don't need other things to fill us with love. God has filled us with love through the sacrifice of Christ. Our calling now is not to seek love by, from other people to us. Our call now is to live for others, to live sacrificially for others, to give others, to live for others. Now, let's take a look at ourselves though. The Bible states in Romans chapter 3, and this is throughout the whole chapter, that we are sinners and that we need God's grace and mercy. It tells us also that we, we must rely entirely upon the sacrifice of Jesus for salvation. There is no boasting. No one here is better than anyone else. Now, this is an important concept for us to grasp. We need to see this. When Christ looks at us as believers, He sees us all on level ground. 
Now, I'm not talking here about maturity. I'm not talking here about growth in righteousness. I'm not talking here about life experience. What I'm talking about is where we stand. We all stand on level ground. There is no boasting. No one is better than anyone else. The Jew is not better than the Gentile. The Gentile is not better than the Jew. Those who receive the law are not better than those who did not have the law. Those who don't, don't have the law are not better than the ones who did receive the law. Why? Because we have all broken the law. We are all lawbreakers. We all stand on the same plane. We are all equal. However, when we look at each other, we tend to naturally rank ourselves by some sort of hierarchy that we decide is in our favor. I am much better than this person because of this. Did you see what they did? This is why they're not as good as I am. And, and we tend to order ourselves in this way. However, through Scripture, we see that we are all on level ground. Even if we've been saved for 30 years, even if we've been saved for two years, two months, one day, we all need the continual work of the cross in our lives. We all stand on that sacrifice that Christ has made. That is the thing that brings us before God. That is what makes us worthy. It's not our actions. None of us can bring anything before God to say, I am worthy of salvation. You should look upon me. Look at what I've done. Look at how much good, look at the good things that I've, I've contributed to this. God sees all of that and says, none of that matters. None of that matters. You are a lawbreaker. You deserve my wrath. You deserve punishment. You deserve judgment. Because I am the creator of the universe, God would say, because I have established order in all things that exist, I have a law that I have given. And those who break the law must be judged. In the same way that we would look at a police officer. Let's say we're at the store, we're at Walmart, we're at Costco, Sam's Club, it doesn't matter. And we see somebody shoplift, take something and they run. And a security guard is there at the front door and they just watch them leave. What would we think? What would we imagine if that security guard did not grab a hold of them and say, hey, stop. Wait a minute. What would we think? Why are you standing there? What, what, what's your purpose there of being there if you're not going to stop the bad guys from taking what they want? That person just stole something and you did nothing to prevent that. What is your role? We see this in a human sense. In the same way, God acts very similarly. When someone breaks a command, when someone breaks a rule that he created, that person deserves judgment. That judgment must come. But because of God's love for us, his son has bore that punishment in our place. And so we're all level. We all depend upon the work of Jesus on the cross for our righteousness, regardless of who we are. No person needs Christ less than any other person. We are all the same. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Well, we're no better or more important than anyone else. Think about that. We are no better or more important than anyone else. But wait a minute, I haven't sinned as much as that person. That person has sinned against me in these ways. We are no better than anyone else. That's the reality. We may feel that we are. We may think that we are. We may want to be. But we are no better than anyone else. We need Christ just as much as they need Christ. And this is something we need to consider. The Bible also says that we've been created to have needs and desires. And this is the area where many conflicts begin. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of James. Let's go to James chapter 4.
James chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1, 2, and 3. Here's what it says. James chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Where do fights come from? Where do wars come from? Where do conflicts come from? James is telling us that they come from our own inner desires, which we've been created to have. They come from our own inner desires clashing with the desires of someone else. Our own desires clashing, getting in the way, somebody preventing our desires from coming to fruition. And that is what creates these conflicts. But let me clarify, having desires is not a wrong thing. Having desires is not bad. It's being unwilling to lay them down. That's bad. It's being unwilling to sacrifice those desires. That's wrong. Consider this. Let's imagine that we have an 18-wheeler traveling down a country road. 65 miles an hour, fully loaded, just barreling down that little path. And it's going out there. Now, you know it takes a long time for an 18-wheeler to stop. So here comes this 18-wheeler going down the road. Lo and behold, right ahead, here comes another 18-wheeler. It's a one-lane road. They're both going to meet at some point. 65 miles an hour over here, 65 They're both fully loaded. They're coming straight at each other. What's going to happen? What's going to happen if not one of the 18-wheelers turns and makes way for the other? You know what's going to happen. It's going to be a big explosion. It's going to be a crash, a conflict. Here comes one, here comes the other. Unless one gives way to the other and lets it pass, or unless they both give way, there's going to be a conflict. There's going to be a problem. And that is a picture of what it's like when we bring our desires to something. We're like that 18-wheeler coming with our momentum, our desires, and then here comes someone else with their momentums and their desires, and we see this so often and so clearly in our marriages, don't we? We really do. We see it in relationships with friends, with siblings, but really in our marriages, we see this coming up all the time. When you get married, when you get married, not only are you confronted with your own desires, you're confronted with the desires of your spouse. Not only are you, are you having to manage your own desires, now you're having to deal with the desires of the other person. So now it's not just one 18-wheeler going down the road. Now it's just two. It Sometimes they're coming head on towards each other. What are you going to do? Which will you choose? How will you prioritize which desire is more important? Well, the Lord gives us an example. He sets the, he sets the standard. He tells us what we ought to do. And what should we do? We should be willing to lay down our lives. We should be willing to get out of the way to let the other pass. It's amazing. It's amazing. And you feel it. You see it in the little things, in the big things. Our desires moving us towards something, and there is some resistance there. And sometimes we just want to crash right through it. But so does the other person. And this creates lots of conflict. This is reality. This is the world that we live in. Not just in marriage, but in our relationships, one with another. There are times when we must sacrifice our own desires for those of our spouse. In fact... This should be a regular practice. This should be our go-to. Sadly, though, it's not. Sadly, our go-to is, I'm going to fight for my thing even more. 
I'm going to argue until I get my way. I'm going to show my spouse. I'm going to show my friend. I'm going to show my brother, my sister. I'm going to show them the, the weakness of their logic by arguing my point in such a way to where they will have to give way because my thing is more important than theirs. That's what we do. And what does that create? Well, then the other person feels attacked and then they're also wanting to do the same thing and you end up with this huge deal that really shouldn't have been. And, and using the power of hindsight, <laughs> using the experience of, of the aftermath, when you turn around and you look back, you say, oh, if I would have only just, if we could have only just compromised. I mean, it really wasn't that big of a deal. We, we blew this thing way out of proportion. Look at where we are now. And now there's pieces of the truck everywhere. Cargo's all over the road. Tires are up on a tree somewhere. And it gets bad. It's a mess. It's a mess. We have opportunities like this every day. Every moment. As a matter of fact, before the day's over, you will have an opportunity to experience this. How do I know? Because we live in a fallen world. Because that's just the norm in our lives. We will experience this kind of scenario before the day is over. How will you react? We have knowledge now. We have information. We can, we can look forward to this, to this time, this thing that may happen. How will you react? How will you respond when that moment comes? Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Let's take a look at verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What are these verses telling us? What are these verses encouraging us to do? Move a little bit and let the other truck pass. Pull over, get out of the fast lane, let the vehicle behind you pass. Let him go. Give way. Give way. Don't look at your own interests. Look to the interests of others. Have this mind within yourself. Very clear what the Bible's trying to show us. Now, this isn't only for marriage. Though in marriage is when we see this constantly. All right? It's just a recurring theme. Those of you who are married, you know what I'm talking about. It's a recurring theme. But the, these actions... This way of thinking, this way of looking at conflicts in our desires, this way of loving, is not just for marriage. Remember what John 1, 3, 16 says. We ought to lay our life down for our brothers, for the family of Christ. This is the attitude we ought to be taking towards the believers, towards anyone that we meet. Not just our spouse. But you might say, marriage is supposed to make me happy. <laughs> well, it can. It can make you happy, but that's not the priority. Remember what the priority is, to serve and to glorify God. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Christ Himself comes and He says, Seek first the kingdom of God. Not seek first your own pleasure. Seek first the fulfillment of your own desires. No, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things that you're worried about. The food, the clothing, the safety, the, the bills, all these things that are going on. God will take care of those. Just as He takes care of the birds in the air, just as He knows how many hairs you have on your head, just as He knows all these things and orders these things for our benefit, He will take care of those desires that you have. They're not wrong, but seek first the kingdom of God. Isn't that what we read in our, in our initial text? Lay down your life as Christ has laid down His life for you. He has done these things. 
we must follow in those. And through that, we will find the purpose of our lives. That's what we're seeking. We're not seeking more conflict. We want to follow what the Lord has called us to follow so that we can experience His peace, His joy. We can experience the safety that He has provided within the confines of His commands. And that is why He puts these verses in for us to read and to learn from. God in His kindness knows what you, what you need. And if we seek His kingdom first, all these things will be added to us, as, it's, as this verse says. Our calling, therefore, is not to serve ourselves. Let's go to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Let's look at verses 30 and 31. Jesus has stated that our calling is to love God and to care for one another. Now here in this section, it's very interesting. You have someone who's come to the Lord to ask Him, Okay, great teacher, rabbi, what is the greatest commandment? Right, wanting to corner Him. What is the greatest commandment? And here in Mark 12, 30, He answers. He says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Right? He says you're going to love God with everything that you are. And you probably heard, I mean, what, what does all mean? All means, all means all. It means everything, right? So you're going to love God with everything that you are, your whole mind entirely, your whole heart entirely, your soul, everything that you are, love God. That is the command, the greatest command. But he doesn't stop there. Look at what he says after. And he says, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, an interesting thing he says after this. There is no other commandment greater than these. There is no other commandment, singular, greater than these, plural. Somebody asks him, what's the greatest commandment? And he answers with two. And he says, there's no greater commandment than two. He says, love God with everything that you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the greatest commandment. Wait, but there's two. Yeah, but it's one. That's the greatest commandment. Consider this. The same passion that Jesus had for causing us to see the importance of loving God with everything that we are is the same passion that He has for us to love others as ourselves. There is no difference. Love the Lord your God. Love others as yourself. That is the greatest commandment. You can't divorce them. You can't separate them. Jesus has linked them together. He has glued them. He has put them together as one commandment. We could say, well, I love you, God, but I can't stand this person. I love you, God. I'll serve you with all my heart, but my spouse is just... Whew, Lord, work on their heart, please. They're just... They're unbearable. Do you see how, how they're reacting right now? I can't, I can't believe it. God, they're being so childish, so naive. I don't want to respond in kindness to them, but I'll love you. I'll serve you. I'll sacrifice to you. What did Jesus say? Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. They're linked together. They're linked together. Love is sacrifice. To love God means to love people. And to love people is to love God. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'm going to give you all some scenarios real quick. I'm going to give you some scenarios and I'm going to ask you, what do you think or what action would glorify the Lord? Okay, here's scenario number one. A husband comes home from work mentally exhausted after a long day of dealing with customers and co-workers. He's ready to enter the house and relax. After all, that's his safe place. However, his wife has been dealing with the kids and is ready to hand over some of the responsibilities to him so that she can get a few minutes of alone time and try to coax a headache away. 
you've probably never experienced this. But let's just, let's just suppose that that happened. What action by each spouse would glorify God? What action by each spouse would glorify God? What do you all think? That's right. What else? Fantastic. Excellent. The husband serves the wife. The husband serves the wife. Yeah. Oh, that sounds good. I will take I will take the kids out for dinner while you have a bath. That's great. The husband serving the wife. That's that's fantastic. That would glorify the Lord. Absolutely. Are, are there any other options? Or are we all in agreement that that's, that's the one? <laughs> any other option? Guys, any other options? <laughs> I don't want to sound biased here, but I need some help. <laughs> Each seeking to prefer the other. Each seeking to prefer the other. Yeah, that's right. So, is there a right answer? Is there a right answer to this scenario? Count, countless times, countless times throughout throughout this day or, or throughout this year, throughout this month, countless times, you will, you will know of people who experience the same phenomenon. Is there one right answer? Well, yes, and what Aaron mentioned, seek to serve each other. But in our mind, in our human mind, we try to come up with the right answer. The one scenario, well, this is the thing that I did. You see, I did the right thing. Hey, you didn't respond the way the Bible wants you to respond. I did the right thing. And, and we get in this whole, it's, it's not that way. God gives us a standard and then in the beauty of variety and in the beauty of life, we get to choose how we're going to respond. We get to choose how we're going to respond. And so our desire may be, well, my spouse should serve me. We should be willing to lay down our desire to serve, our desire for ourselves to serve them. And, the same, and when that happens, something beautiful is born. Something beautiful is created. Let me give you another scenario. A husband is looking at online stores, comparing prices of cell phones with the intention of purchasing one. So not just wasting time, but he wants to buy one. His wife glances over and notices his search and wonders why he's putting so much effort into this when she's mentioned many times that they need to save money to put towards new clothes for the kids who are going to start school soon. What actions by each spouse would glorify God? Here's another scenario. Husband's ready to buy something. The wife has been saying, hey, we need to buy some clothes. Husband's probably saying, no, no, they're fine. Yeah, but their pants look like shorts. Oh, that's fine. It's going to be warm anyway. It doesn't get that cold here. But here's this husband now <clears throat> paying attention to this, to this website, wanting to buy a phone. And the wife looks over and says, hey, what's, we, we, if you're going to spend money, we, we really need to get the kids some clothes. So what, what actions would glorify God there? Asking questions. Honey, why? Why are you looking at phones? Yeah, that's good. So asking questions, trying to find out why. Yeah, trying to find out why that, why that's such an important thing right now. Yeah, what else? What, what other action would glorify God in that moment? Any other thoughts? Submitting to your husband. Submitting to your husband? Okay. Okay. Submitting to your husband, that's, that's showing sacrificial love. Absolutely. Showing sacrificial love, putting trust in your spouse. That's good. There, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of different outcomes that, that could come from this. A lot of different outcomes. But I think, I think Kim mentioned something that is, that is really important, which is communication. Communication. Communication is key. Sometimes sacrificing 
means you're, you're going to talk about it and you're going to say, look, I'm going to put this down. I'm, I'm going, you're going to tell your spouse, you're going to tell this other person, I'm going to sacrifice for you. You actually lay it out and say, you don't just do it and expect it to be understood. Because sometimes that sacrifice happens on the inside where no one really knows. It's, it hasn't been voiced. It hasn't been brought out. But when you voice it and you say it, oh, it just brings light. It, it brings light. It, it, it brings it out to the table. Sometimes that needs to happen. Asking questions, talking things through, not just acting out, just to act. Final scenario here. In the middle of a heated discussion, in the middle of a heated discussion with her husband about his parents, the wife decides to end the conversation. The husband, however, wants to continue the discussion even after his wife has told him that she doesn't want to talk about the topic anymore. What action would glorify God in this case? Again, probably never happened to you. Probably never happened to you. She doesn't want to talk anymore. He wants to keep talking. It's a heated discussion. What action would glorify God in this situation? Some ideas. Stop. Stop talking. Stop talking. Who should stop talking? Everyone. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes you got to stop and breathe. Yes. Take a moment. Yes. Schedule an appointment to talk about it later. Schedule an appointment. That's, that's good. So not, not saying the conversation ends here. But saying, let's move it to another time. Let's stop. Let's move it to another time. Excellent. Excellent. What struck me, Juan, is just the, the point you're making about when both lay down their desire, then you are able to access wisdom, you know, from the Lord. And Absolutely. decide together from a place of, I'm willing to do what the other wants. I'm willing to do what the other wants. Let's ask what, what would best serve the Lord in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. And doesn't, doesn't that take work? Oh, I know I wish that came naturally to me. But the opposite comes naturally to me. To keep fighting for the thing. And instead, if we would just move out of the way and let the other truck pass. Take some time. Serve the other. See the other, the other person as more important. Be willing to lay down our lives for them as Christ laid down our lives for us. This is why it's important for us to keep in mind what Christ has done for us on the cross. When, when we say the sacrifice of Christ... Uh, the Lord shed His blood, we belong to God. All, all, all these things that we say, we need to take a moment and we need to think about the implications of what we are saying. And it's so easy to lose the importance and the meaning of those things. If we truly believe that Christ has died for our sins, how is that changing our life now? We know it's changed our life. We know it is changing our lives. But how is it changing our lives now? How is it affecting us right now? That is, that is the thing that sacrificial love is wanting to draw out. As you consider what Christ has done for you, how should I act right now? How should His love pour through my life right now? Not in the future, not in the past, right now. Meditating on His truth, meditating on what He's done, continually having it at the forefront, loving the Lord our God with everything that we are. Therefore, we're able to love others as ourselves and fulfilling that great command. So you'll notice in each of these situations, that communication is critical and key. To show sacrificial love means that you're going to be willing to absorb some of the anger, some of the frustration, some of the unfairness or discomfort in order to benefit your spouse. However, this doesn't mean that we're to hold on to those feelings indefinitely. Otherwise, what happens? Those feelings get packed in, they get packed in, they get packed, oh, I've been sacrificing for you, and then what happens? 
there comes a point where you can't fit any more in and boom, it pops and it explodes. That's not true sacrificial love. Sacrificial love keeps no score. If you're keeping score, you're not loving sacrificially. There is no score to be kept. So we absorb some of that. And what do we do with those feelings? Because they are there. What do we do with those emotions? We give them to the Lord. We look to the cross and we say, Lord, you know what sacrifice means. We know what love is because of your sacrifice. I can't handle these emotions, but I want to serve you and love you as you've called me to. Take these from me. Give me your peace. Give me your grace. Give me your patience. Matthew eleven twenty nine says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If your soul is uneasy and is in a state of unrest, you have not taken on the yoke of Christ. You have forgotten to put on His yoke and you're carrying your own burden. Give your burden to the Lord, take His on, and you will find rest for your soul. To close, we have been called to sacrifice ourselves for other Christians, being especially mindful of the one that's closest to you, your spouse. We should train our minds to continually ask, how can I lay down my life for others like Christ did? That's the command. And in fulfilling that command, we will find true life. So, sacrificial love sounds so easy. It's something that we admire. It's something that we cherish. Something that we long to experience and we can. There are moments in our day where we will have this opportunity. Trust the Lord. Love the Lord. Obey the Lord. Let His sacrifice motivate you towards this calling. This is how we love. There is no other way. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank You for revealing to us yet again the beauty and the power of Your sacrifice on the cross on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, that you have laid down your life so that we would have an example to follow as we lay our lives down to serve you and to please you. Help us to see that when we obey your commands, we are not missing out on fun. We are not missing out on freedom. We are actually experiencing freedom and we are actually living true lives with the fullness of love and righteousness that you have called us to. I pray that you would bless the marriages here. I pray that you would bless our relationships with each other and that we would see love as sacrifice. Not as the way the world paints it or shows it. Help us to love as your Son has loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.